Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Malachi 2, 1 to 9 is, And now, your priestess, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve the honor to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor, or, or, sorry, to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant, them, sorry, my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with me, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for the reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me and in peace and uprightness, and turning many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and you are teaching Sorry, and your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but you have shown partially in matters of the law. So as Matthew come, I'm going to pray for him. <laughs> so thanks, Lord, for all this amazing week. Thank you for your love that is put into us. Uh, thank you for Mafi who is bringing the word, and I just pray that you can open our mind, our hearts, and our ears to hear what you have to, to tell us today, and help us to just turn it into fruits of life into us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Good afternoon, everyone, it's good to be here. Very soon we are going to be on the 21st of June, which means that it's the longest day of the year, and then the nights are going to begin to close in on us. So between now and then, let's just enjoy the long evenings before it, uh, before it gets, uh, gets quiet again. So listen, we are in the book of Malachi. We're going to take a six-week series, so this is the second week. And the book of Malachi was written to try to reignite Israel's relationship with their great lover, with, with God, our Creator who had entered into a covenant with them on, on Mount Sinai, and that was with Moses. And you can read all about that in Exodus. And so around 100 years have passed uh, since the excitement of the new start, since, uh, since Israel were carried or came back from Babylon. They were in exile in Babylon. They came back to Jerusalem. They re rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt the temple. Around 100 years have passed. And, and, and God had brought them back. But... In the hundred years, the relationship had gone a little bit cold. It had gone a little bit stale. It lacked vitality, lacked meaning. And Israel were beginning to go through the motions. And even at that, they were, they were struggling to do that. So uh, in the sixth century, they returned from exile. And this is taking place now in the fifth century before Christ. So around a hundred years on, the excitement has dissipated. 
and the, uh, the word Malachi or means my messenger. So Malachi was a messenger that God was using. So all the initial excitement and the fervor had dissipated, it was gone, they were half-hearted, they were lukewarm, enthusiasm had gone. Do you know, these were just really ordinary, unenthusiastic, kind of mundane days, and it was boring. And last week, whenever Steve was speaking, we saw that Israel were beginning to question God and ask them, well, do you really love us, given how hard and how mundane things had got? So last week, we explored together what it looks like to restore a half-hearted relationship with God, as Malachi the messenger was beginning to expose uh, Israel's half-hearted worship. And then this week, um, Malachi is, is turning his warning and a rebuke toward Israel's priests, towards Israel's leaders. And, and he speaks to them a, a really tough word. And this is this would be tough for us to hear as well today. So it's not, not an easy word. It's a tough one. It's a tough passage that Yomara's just read. And, and, and Malachi pulls no punches. And he shows them that this half-hearted worship will inevitably invite God's judgment upon them. But we saw this little example with Levi that we're going to explore, that wholehearted worship enjoys God's presence. So the text today gives us an example to examine our own hearts, examine our relationship with God, examine where we've become half-hearted and maybe where we've fallen foul to, to convenience or, or allowed apathy to, to slip in or perhaps just gone through the motions and it's an opportunity to ask God to revive us, to reignite us, to draw us closer to himself again. And so the challenge then today and the challenge in our mundane days is that will our lives make Jesus Lord of all or no Lord at all? So this isn't just a challenge for Sunday, this is a challenge for Monday. Will our lives make Jesus Lord of all or no Lord at all? So half-hearted worship invites God's judgment. You know, in Malachi 1, God calls out Israel for their half-hearted worship. If you, you, if you look in the Bibles, if you've got a Bible, please keep it open, page 720, 721, and, and, and we'll get down through the passage. Malachi calls out Israel for their half-hearted worship. They hadn't honored God, but in fact, they'd, they'd shown contempt for his name. They'd offered blemished, lame, lame blind animals, they, they were offering God the dregs, the very worst. They were offering God the afterthoughts. They, they were cheapening their worship of God to the point that he says in, in Malachi 1 that it was even a burden to them. What a burden. And remember, all the way back in Exodus, God had rescued Israel from slavery, from the hands of the Egyptians hundreds of years before. He'd rescued them. He'd provided for them 40 years in the desert. He'd led them from the desert into the promised land. God had given Israel his law at Sinai, they were his people and he was their God. They were called to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. They were to be God's treasured possession, so deeply loved and valued above all else. They were to be God's kingdom of priests. They would meditate the, the, the presence of God to others and they would represent others before God. They were to be a holy nation. They were to be set apart above all the other nations so that all these other nations could see God for who he really was. You know, Israel had a holy calling, and so do we. But yet here in, in chapter 2, Malachi's indictment of them really strengthens, and it's then directed towards the priests, towards Israel's leaders. And ultimately, they've, they have forfeited the holy calling that's been upon their lives. And in fact, the blessing that God gives Abram in Genesis 12 has now been reversed. So look, Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, 
I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. You know, Israel have broken their side of the covenant yet again. They've lost their first love. They've turned their back on the God who loves them. And look at verse 3. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. And look at these words. These are insane. If you ever want to read verses that you think would never be in the Bible, look at these ones. I will smear in your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. Wow. You know, before the priests could sacrifice the animals, they would have had to cut out the internal unclean parts. They would have to carry them outside the camp. They would have to, to, to burn them. They'd, they'd wash and they'd change their clothes and then they'd come back in. That was their normal ritual in order to get rid of the unclean things. But God is saying that he would smear that across their faces. He would make them as unclean as the unclean parts. And so they would be carried out to the rubbish heap with them. And so obviously, this is figurative language. It's, it's not literal, but, but what God was saying is that he is declaring these priests completely unclean. And as a result, they're not allowed in the sanctuary. They're being removed from God's presence. And the problem wasn't the, the, the festivals. The problem wasn't the rituals. The problem wasn't these structures, but it was the motivations and the attitudes of their hearts. God removes his blessing from us where there is half-hearted worship. When we're going through the motions, we're turning up and we're ticking off a box. And this half-hearted worship invites God's judgment whenever we don't resolve to honor God's name like Israel. Whenever we offer God the second best, whenever we, we're going to see this, whenever we compromise in the truth of God's words. So verses 1 to 3 gives us this picture of judgment that's coming. And if you, if you want to look at verses 8 and 9, it's really, really uh, sad because in chapter 1, the priests were prostituting the sacrifices by offering second-rate animals in chapter 1. But we see now in chapter 2, that not only were they doing that, but they were failing to teach the truth of God's law. And as a result, they caused many people to stumble. Look at verse 8. And they were willfully leading God's people astray. Verse 9 tells us about the specifics of what's going on. So in verses 1 to 3, we hear about judgment, but in verses 8 and 9, we see is the specifics of that. What were they doing? They were showing partiality to others, full of double standards, full of hypocrisy. So they're compromising on the very thing they were called to do. Priests in the Old Testament were called to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, and they were also to teach the people the truth of God's law. And you know, it would be so easy for us to level criticism at, at these priests from where we sit right now, but so often it's not all that different in our own lives. We know who we're called to be, but yet we fall short of God's glory. So often we hear that in, in Isaac's call to worship. Often our worship of God can be so fickle. And if we're really truthful, we, we prefer to worship other things. We prefer to set our heart on other things so often. We often choose comfort. We choose convenience. We often set our affections on something else. And, and usually that's ourselves. Whatever it is that makes us happy, whatever it is that makes us comfortable, whatever it is that's convenient for us. As a half-hearted worship invites God's judgment and he removes his blessing from us, and we can no longer enjoy the sweetness of his presence. God's people, these Levites, no longer enjoyed the sweetness of God's presence because they were going through the motions half-heartedly. God had removed his, his presence. He'd removed his blessing from them. You know, whenever I was 19, I, uh, 
I, I walked away from, from Jesus for a number of months, for seven months. And, you, you, you know, I, I, I got up to all, all, all the things the world had to offer. I, I dabbled in this, that, and the other. And, and the reality for me wasn't that these were all the bad things the mafia was doing. But it all started out because mafia's heart had grown cold toward the Lord. Mafia had stopped conversating with the Lord. Mafia had stopped spending time with the Lord. Mafia began to seek pleasure and satisfaction in these temporary things. He began to seek out other idols. Mafia's heart began to grow cold. And the reality was that God hadn't walked away from, from me at all. My heart had grown cold towards the Lord and I began to seek pleasure and satisfaction and all these other things and what the world had to offer. After seven months, I was left more broken, more empty than I'd ever been before. I dabbled where I shouldn't, and I found that it ultimately came up short. But it all started out with half-hearted worship. I was going through the motions. My heart grew cold toward the Lord. And as my heart grew cold toward the Lord, I began to seek satisfaction in all these other things. I know for the, for the priests, for Israel, it's probably no different. They were going through the motions. It was mundane days. Their hearts had grown cold and they were straying. And the priests in particular were the ones that were leading them away. And you know, often whenever things grow stale in, in any relationship, there's often a lack of desire. There's a lack of spark and there's an apathy that, that begins to set in. But here's the truth. God's heart has always been for us. In them moments when I was 19, like 14 years ago, God's heart was always for Mafi. God's heart was always inclined towards me. And in fact, it was inclined more toward me whenever I'd walked away from him than in the moments in which I was close to him. God's heart is always for us. It is always towards us. God does not shrink back. But in fact, in the mundane moments, in the moments in which we are tempted to grow cold and walk away from the Lord, God's heart is, is for us more than ever in them moments. He does not shrink back. Instead, he beckons us to come and enjoy the sweetness and the vibrancy of a living relationship with him so we can call him our father. And so for me, it, it took me and my friend, we're walking down the street for our, our friend's mom to come out of a coffee shop. And she came out and she threw her arms around us and she says, Maffey, Greg, you need direction, you need guidance in your life. Will, will you come along tomorrow night to a Bible study? All it took was an invitation from a godly woman to help draw us back we came along, we encountered a living God at that Bible study, and, and the rest was history. So you know, if half-hearted worship invites judgment, as we saw in verses 1 to 3 and 8 and 9, then sandwiched between these verses is this beautiful picture of wholehearted worship. And this is what I want to really focus on. This is what I want to draw us towards. Wholehearted worship enjoys God's presence. You know, in chapter one, God tells a story through the pictures of Jacob and Esau. And, and God shows Israel that he truly does love them. And now God tells another story through Malachi, and it's a priestly story through similar pictures of, through the life of Levi. So the Levites were the priestly line in Israel. So whenever God's people entered the promised land, each of the tribes were allotted an inheritance. So it is a portion of land to settle in and to steward. Each of the tribes got a portion of land except the tribe of Levi. The Levites were called to be priests and their inheritance was the Lord himself. And they would serve the people. They were set aside for a specific purpose. They got no land, but they were, they were spread across 
the, all of the promised land, and they were to serve the people. The priests were to guard the temple. They were to ensure that no unclean thing entered, and they were to, they were to offer sacrifices. They were to teach God's people the law on behalf of, of God. And if you look at verse 4, Malachi is saying, and you know, and you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. You want to know what wholehearted worship looks like? And look at the awe of Levi. He revered me and he stood in awe of my name. Malachi looks to the inner life of Levi. You know, before ever talking about what Levi does, Malachi looks to who Levi was. Malachi looks to the heart of his inner life. You know, in wholehearted worship, our inner lives reflect Christ. In wholehearted worship, our inner lives show Jesus to be our center of gravity. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 15, you see it on the screen, and, and, and he says about the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They're going through the motions. But look at verse 10. Jesus called to the crowd and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, so it's not what they eat that defiles, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Who you are always makes its way out of you. What comes from the heart is what defiles. Or maybe Matthew 26, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can only set one thing as a true center of gravity. Everything else is going to rotate around it. So Levi had welcomed God into that space. Look with me at verse 7. See these words, it says, He walked with me in peace and uprightness. Levi had welcomed God into that space. In the center of Levi's heart was a place where God dwelled. You know, in the, in the Pursuit of God, a, a short book by A.W. Tozer in the 1940s, Tozer says it so well. He says, In the deep heart of man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. And this was before the fall. Within him was God, without or outside of him was a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God our potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of a central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by, no, by nature no peace within their hearts. For God is crowned there no longer, but there in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. You know what Tozer is saying, that in each and every one of us, there is a war that is raging. What will take center stage? What will sit on the throne of my heart? What will rule and reign where everything else is going to be subjugated to it? What is gravitational pull whereby everything else gravitates around it? 
Are you ultimately defined by your ethnicity? Are you ultimately defined, perhaps, by your job? Maybe it's your political persuasion. Every five years when the elections come around, that's what really comes out. Maybe it's your sexual orientation. Or perhaps maybe it's what other people think of you. You're defined by what other people think of you. You know, mundane days, mundane days are going to expose where our center of gravity really is. Will we make Jesus Lord of all, or will he be no Lord at all? And Levi, because God was on the throne of his heart, stood in awe of him. Levi stood in awe of God because God was placed there in the center. Because of who he was, look at what he does. Let's look at what Levi does. We saw who he was. We saw that God is on the throne of his heart. Look at verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, verse 7, because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. You know, Levi was a godly model, but Levi couldn't turn the hearts of the people toward God. Under the old covenant, Levi offered sacrifices first for his own sin and then for the sin of God's people. Levi couldn't transform the heart. Levi couldn't transform the inner, heart, the inner life in other people. Sure, he could follow God closely. Sure, he could be a good model. But he hadn't the power to transform the inner life in God's people. And this is where I want to cast our gaze away from Levi and away from Malachi onto what I would call the true and better priest. There was one who would come 400 years later, one who would fulfill the law, one who would supersede the old covenant, one who would establish a new covenant in his blood. And the writer of the Hebrews says of Jesus Christ, he says these words, Hebrews 7, in verse 23, now there have been many of those priests, i.e. Levi and so on, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, guys. This is good news. This is Jesus. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Amen? Amen. Church, Jesus became our true priest. Jesus became our true mediator between us and God. God could completely say of Jesus that true instruction was in his mouth and that nothing false was found on his lips. Jesus walked with him in peace and in uprightness and he turned many people from sin and he still does. You know, Jesus was a better Levi. Jesus became the mediator of a better covenant. He became our great high priest. Jesus represented us before God and he mediated the presence of God to us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus was judged for our half-hearted worship. Jesus knew how half-hearted our worship would be at times. He knew how fickle we would be at times and he still went to the cross for you and I. 
You know, Jesus was the one who never went through the motions. He was the one who always had God on the throne of his heart. He was the one who became the sacrificial lamb for our sin once and for all. He took the punishment upon himself at the cross that we were due. And because of that, he's given us a new heart. He's given us new desires. He's given us new motivations that we can stand in awe of God so that we can also step into the priestly calling that each and every one of us who are in Christ has. And this is the good news. The good news is that once your heart has been so captured and so captivated by Christ, you'll want to pledge your full allegiance to him. It won't be out of a sense of duty, but it'll be out of a sense of delight. Do you see that? Whenever, whenever your heart is so captured by Christ, you'll not end up going through the motions, but you'll have this deep desire to follow Christ. You'll have this deep desire to walk with him. You'll have this deep desire to serve him. This is what true worship begins to look like. It means making Jesus Lord of all. It means making Jesus Lord of our Monday mornings. It means making Jesus Lord of our, our Wednesday nights whenever we don't really feel like going to city group, but we go along anyway. It means making Jesus Lord of all. Perhaps coming early on a Sunday to help set up, to help put up the projector, to do all these things. Making Jesus Lord of all in that moment in work or in college, whenever, whenever you don't really want to put, 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 your, put your nose out, but, but you know the gospel is burning in your heart and you have to share it with that person. It means putting up with the person that you don't really like, but for the sake of the gospel, you want to introduce them to Jesus. This is the good news. You serve God, not out of a sense of duty, not going through the motions, but out of a sense of delight. Because I tell you this, if you want to serve God, by going through the motions out of a sense of duty, that'll last only for a few weeks, maybe give you a year, and then you'll, you'll catch yourself on and you'll run away. You begin to serve God out of the overflow of a heart that loves him. Oh, wow. The transformation is unbelievable. The transformation is something else. So the central place that God changes us is not, is not our actions. It's not the hands. It's at the motivations of the heart. Some motivations of the heart. A new lifestyle flows from a heart that's been renewed in its love for God. So significant behavioral change flows from significant motivational change. And look at the so that. And, and this is key. This is, this is for all of us. So that we can want to spend time with God. So that we can delight in his word. Whenever we want to spend time with God, we long and we hunger for his presence. We do whatever it takes. We stick the 7th of July in our calendar so that we can get to the half night of prayer. We set aside them five hours because we want to dwell in the presence of the Lord with other believers. We delight in his word. We feast on it. We can't get enough of it. We make decisions for the good of his kingdom, not just for our comfort and not our convenience, but for the good of God's kingdom. And we experience through the Holy Spirit God's affections for us. We enjoy the sweetness of God's presence. We enjoy his tender embrace. We enjoy his grace that draws us towards him. We enjoy his pleasure towards us as a loving father. And it's as our hearts are captivated by Christ and so radically transformed that we then begin to fulfill this priestly calling that's on each and every one of our lives. So Peter says of the church 
in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you've been to Connect, you'll have heard these verses. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, the church, to be a holy priesthood. You see the word, a holy priesthood? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. There's them words again. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I invite the band back up, please? As we worship God wholeheartedly, we begin and we start to fulfill our call to mediate the presence of God and the goodness of Jesus to the world around us. We can bring God to the people and we can bring people to the God. We can, be, we can be priests, each and every one of us. We are all called to be priests. We can become living sacrifices, people who would gladly give their lives so that others would come and encounter the radical grace of the living God that's on offer to every single one of us. So that people would come and encounter the living God, the one who has so captured our hearts. So in mundane days, may our lives make Jesus Lord of all. If you're able, will you stand with me? I'd love us to respond and worship. We saw in the first three verses and the last two verses what it looks like to be judged for half-hearted worship. But we saw the, the, the beauty of these three middle verses of what wholehearted worship looks like. And may that be the case for us as we lift our gaze and lift our eyes onto the Lord. King Jesus, we crown you as King. We crown you as Lord of all. And we recognize, Lord, that so often our worship has been fickle. It has been half-hearted. But as we stand here today, Lord, we declare that you are Lord and that we are yours. Father, I pray that our hearts would be so captivated by your grace all over again that our days would be set apart for you. That, Lord, we would be fit to mediate your presence to other people. The Lord, we would be that holy nation where, where Dublin looks at us and they, sees people, they see people who are set apart. They see people who have something that they want. And I pray, Lord, that your grace would be so prevalent in our lives that it would cause and draw people toward you. In Jesus' name, amen.